You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. There is a great obsession in today's society about living longer and looking younger. In Australia last year, just, just in 2020 alone, we spent $1.5 billion on skincare products, and that's without all the beauty services, gyms and everything to make us look younger in our, in our bathroom on the shelf. I saw two products this morning. There's one called Youth Extend and another one called Youth Extend Ultra. Now, obviously, those products work because I looked at Petra this morning and she looks just as young as she did yesterday, so they obviously work. This psalm talks very openly and honestly about God's eternity and our mortality. It's not a subject we like to talk about, but I think it's very, very timely, as Jonathan mentioned before, that we all have mortality. In fact, there's a little saying, there's only two certainties in life, taxes and death. Numbering our days, this this psalm encourages to number us our days and to gain wisdom. But numbering our days is not about counting our days, as in how many days that I've got to live, but rather valuing the days that we do have. Let me take you back just a few years, 2015. Think about where you were in 2015. December 2015 came around. I'm 62 years of age, working full-time, a director of IT at the Bacchus Marsh Grammar, I had everything planned out. I was going to work until 67, I was going to retire, we're going to take some world trips, and I had it all mapped out how wonderful it was going to be. My father died quite young at 64, but he was in a very, very bad car accident, and he wasn't even expected to live that long. I had my eldest brother, died of 53 of a heart attack, but he was a chain smoker all his life, he drank heavily, and a workaholic. He just burnt his body out, so when he died young, no, no, no. I have an uncle who lived to 95, so I was on his side of the family, and I was going to live for forever and all good. I had really good health. I was fit and healthy, walking, da, da, da. The only thing I had a little bit was a bit of reflux, a bit of heartburn, and my doctor said, you better get it checked out. So I went to a cardiologist a few days before Christmas. He put me on the stress test and stopped it after two minutes and rang an ambulance, and I went into hospital had an angiogram and he said the four arteries that are feeding my heart were severely blocked, between 95 and 97% blocked. He said without quadruple bypass surgery, I would die. Needless to say, I had the surgery. And during the next six months, I had a couple of major health issues where I nearly died. And it's only the grace of God and the prayers of God's people that got me through. But one of the lessons that God taught me through this change of health, this sudden change of health, was to value my days or to number my days. This, this psalm is really about our mortality and God's plan for our life. So our task this morning, and not just this morning, for the rest of our lives is to find God's plan for our life so that we will number our days properly and to live them fully. This was written by Moses and he was a mighty man of God and I wish I had time to go into the life of Moses as just how God taught him to value his days. But let's have a look at the first four verses again um, in Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, and before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passed by, and like a few hours in the night. 
The King James says in verse 1, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, or in your refuge in the, the other Bible. There's not a time in our life where we can't live without God, where God doesn't meet our needs and he ministers to us in all generations. Don't you just love children, their simple faith in God? They, they hear a story from the Bible, they believe it, and that's it. It's settled. It's not grey. It's, it's, it's settled. It's God. They know that they can pray to their Father God. They know that God loves them and God provides them through the love of, our, love of their parents. I remember my, um, one of the three of my grandboys, grandchildren from New South Wales were down visiting once, and I think the eldest was about five, and then there's two others a bit younger than that. And we were going to the park, and there's a gravel path, and they ran ahead of me to the path. Well, of course, the second youngest falls face over first, grazes his hands and his knees, all bleeding, and Ethan, who was five, turned to me and said, Poppy, pray, Poppy, pray. It wasn't a matter of, Lord, Poppy, where's the debt hole? Can you put a hanky on it? His first reaction was, pray. And I did. I prayed for little Isaac that he would be healed. And then, of course, I went home and bandaged it. But isn't that beautiful, the simple prayer? And God says, unless you come to me as a child, you're not even going to get in. Isn't that beautiful? You know, teenagers, I hope there's some teenagers this morning watching this this morning. It's a time of great change and, you know, we, we grow and our emotions develop and we want to find our place in the world. And I tell you now that God is a rock through that time. I can speak from personal experience that I found God to be a rock during that time, that even though things change, relationships change, it's really up and down, God never changes and he always wants the best for you. He wants you to find your place in the world with his help and he puts these love and these loving constraints around you. To the mums and dads, boy, do we need God. <laughs> Kids are a great blessing, but they're a great challenge. And, you know, you go through life, there's not a handbook that you just, every day you turn over a new page and you read what's on that day. We need to model the life of Christ to our kids. We, need, we get it wrong. You know, we need to model repentance and forgiveness to our kids and we need the Lord to help us through these challenging years. Later on, our kids leave home and we enter the, the latter stages of our life. And there's a lot of people who just settle down and say, well, you know, I've been there, done that, I'm going to settle down. But God wants you to rise up. There's people in our church here that God wants you to rise up and serve him in this time. It's a wonderful time. You're no longer restrained by your kids at home. For most of us, our finances are pretty well settled by this stage of life. We've got a bit more time on our hands. And what a wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord. And I praise God for the number of people um, of my age who are serving the Lord in this church. But if you're at that stage where your kids have left home, just say, Lord, here I am, because he wants to use you and he wants you to serve him. Verse 2 to 4 talks about God's existence out of time. And this is really hard for us to get our head around. It says, from eternity to eternity you are God. How on earth do we understand eternity? Now, I've got a little... A little example here. Here's a sheet of paper, all right? I want you to imagine that in this bit of paper, there are microbes living. Now, there probably are microbes because it's come from me, but there's a whole... There are cities of microbes. They're tiny, tiny little animals, and they live in two dimensions. That piece of paper is flat. They can't get outside the paper. They live in two dimensions, and they walk around. They form cities. They've got their whole universe in here, and, in fact... Even in the middle of, their, middle of their universe, they've got a, a black hole just like we have. Some of them 
believe that this paper was designed by an intelligent designer. And they say, they argue, look, we've got straight edges. We've got a glossy finish. It must have been designed by an intelligent designer. And others say, rubbish. Billions of years ago, there were nothing. And suddenly there was an explosion and all bits of paper flew everywhere and bits of paper congealed and formed the bit of paper that we live in now. Does that sound a bit familiar? Now, can you imagine the microbes trying to understand us as humans? Could you imagine that? They've never seen us. They can't see outside the paper. They can only move in two, two dimensions. And yet they're trying to visualise us as humans who created this paper. And they must say, wow, those humans, they must have lots and lots of paper. Well, the truth is we do have lots of paper, but we're not constrained by paper. We don't live in this paper. We can put this paper out. We can do that to the bit of paper and we can throw it away. We live outside of the paper. And the same thing with us in God. We've got our three dimensions, length, width and height and time, the fourth dimension of time, and we try and think of God in eternity in our four dimensions. Scientists say there are, are at least 11 dimensions. Now, that does your head in. And God lives in all those 11 dimensions. And here we are in our little four dimensions trying to think of how God lives in eternity. God isn't someone with lots of time. He lives outside of time, just like we live outside that paper. God lives outside of time. And so a thousand years to him is like that, like yesterday. Just like a watch in the night, a thousand years comes and goes. In verse 5 and 6 in, in Psalm 90, he moves on to our humanity and our mortality. God gives us a couple of met metaphors of how quickly life can come to an end. Um, the King James adds the flood. I know the one we read this morning only had sleep and grass, but I'll read this one. You carry them away as a flood. They are as asleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, and by evening it withers and dries up. In recently, um, do you remember back in January, Queensland had big floods. They had huge amounts of monsoon rain. And I remember seeing on the news one night, there was a place in Queensland got 200 millimetres of rain in one day. Of that, 100 millimetres fell in one hour. Now, for us oldies, that's four inches of rain. I mean, we, if we get one inch of rain in a day, 25 mil, we've had a lot of rain. They got 100 mil in one hour. And I remember the, they interviewed the people on the, on the uh, news and they said they couldn't believe it. They went to bed... And they got, sort of woke up about two in the morning and they said they could actually see the water rising in the room. One minute they're dry and safe and sound and the next minute they're completely flooded out and they had to get out for their lives. And that's a bit like our lives. One minute we're, like when I was 62, fit and healthy and strong, sucking on a bit of Gaviscon, but that's all good. And next minute the wheels fall off. It talks about sleep. You know, we go to bed every night assuming we're going to wake up in the morning and go about our next day Everything will be wonderful. But we've got no concept of time when we sleep. We go to bed and we wake up in the morning and it's just gone like that. I remember one time I had a medical procedure and I had the doctor and the anaesthetist beside the bed and I was actually talking to the doctor. I got halfway through a sentence while the anaesthetist, you know, did the old injection. And, of course, I'd only got halfway through the sentence. The funny thing was that I woke up and I went to finish the sentence. And the doctor wasn't there. And I said to Petra, where's the doctor? She said, well, the procedure's all over. He's gone. I said, what? I was only... See, when you sleep, time's gone like that. And when we get to the end of our life, time for our whole life, don't they say it flashes by in the, like that in your eyes? 
So that's how it goes. And the last one is the grass or plants. I mean, if you've got a garden, I've got a veggie garden, silver beet, big green leafy things in the morning, it looks wonderful, but you get a day of 40 degrees and by mid-afternoon, they're wilted and gone. And our life is like that. We're in the prime of our life. You know, I've got young guys sitting in front of me, I've got Jeremy and Ben and Jonathan, young guys fit and healthy, and it's like a flash. We wither and you end up like me. Go down to verse 7 and seven to 9. <clears throat> we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath and end our years like a side boy. bit dismal. And the thing is, we all know that we sin. You know, none of us can go on without sin. And, of course, there's a funny one in there. It sort of talks about our secret sins. How'd you be talking about your secret sins to God when God knows everything? He sees everything. There's no such thing as a secret sin. It looks a bit dismal, but there is an answer to it. God's justice demands death. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But there's a good news, Ben. Ben, there's a good news story. Put the next one up, please. You missed my cue. There it is. There it is. Jesus. You look at every one of those. We're consumed by your anger. Jesus was consumed by God's anger when he hung on the cross. We're terrified by his wrath. He was terrified by God's wrath. Our iniquities were put on him. Our secret sins were put on him. Even God's wrath and all of our things for all of our years were put on Jesus. And he's the one who paid for our sins. Well, isn't that wonderful? Let's go down to verse 10 to 12. Our lives last 70 years. If we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches that fear which is due to you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. It talks here about 70 or 80 years. So how long should we actually expect to live? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but as you read through the Bible, human lifespan has changed tremendously. If you go to Genesis 5, I've just got a few verses in, in Genesis 5 there, and I'm, I'm not going to read it all, but just have a look at some of the ages here. Jared's 162 and he has a baby, Enoch. And then he lives another 800 years after that. Jared's 962 years when he dies. Enoch, 65, when he fathers Methuselah. Enoch walked with God 300 years. Um, says the days of Enoch were 365 years. He walked, in verse 24, he walked with God and was not, for God took him. Methuselah, 187 years of age, and fathered Lamech. Can you imagine having a baby 187 years of age? <laughs> and he fathered many sons and daughters, and all the days of Methuselah were 969, and he died. Here's a little riddle for the kids. See if you can work this out. The oldest man who ever lived died before his father did. The oldest man who ever lived died before his father did. See if you can work that one out. Why do these guys live to 900 years, 800, 900 years? Well, there's a couple of reasons, I believe. First of all, they were genetically pure. They're only a couple of um, generations down from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created perfectly 
genetically 100% pure. And so a few generations later, they were absolutely genetically pure. See, we get old because you know how sins replicate our sin. Our cells, my sins replicate themselves. Our cells replicate themselves and we change all the time. Our blood cells, we make new ones, the old ones die. Our skin cells renew, the old ones die. That's why you get... But the problem is, because of our genetic mutations and ultraviolet rays, when our sins mute... I must have a thing. When our cells mutate, they don't mute, when they don't replicate perfectly, we get age. And that's why my skin's so wrinkly, because the, the replication that's taking place isn't perfect. Whereas back in those days, the replication was absolutely perfect. Genesis also talks about having water below the sky and water above the sky. We suspect that there was probably a thick cloud layer that went right around the earth. And that's why, you know, you see things about the mammoths up in, the, up in Antarctica or up in the Arctic. They find lush green vegetation in their stomachs because there was this tropical environment all around the world. And with no UV harmful rays, they weren't getting these mutations. After the flood, of course, that cloud cover collapsed. And, of course, that was part of the flood. But the more importantly, that humankind was subject to the UV rays from the sun, and so they started getting mutations. From Noah onwards, the genetic pool was quite small. There was only eight people who survived the flood. And so the whole of the human race came from eight people. So the small genetic base, ultraviolet rays, meant that we're starting to get old or die younger. And throughout the Old Testament, you'll see people like um, Joseph. He died at 110. Moses died at 120. David died at 70. I had a look on Google, and you realise in the 1800s, there was no country in the whole world where the average life expectancy was over 40 you guys and ladies who are 40 or 41, could you imagine if you were the oldest part of the, of the society? In 200 years ago, that was true. Today, in, in the year 2000, average life expectancy for Australia, 76 years. And interesting, in the last six years, in 2016, life expectancy had gone up another five years. Obviously, we've got better health, better treatment, and we know how to look after ourselves. But what does God say? I know it says 70 to 80 years, but what does God say about how long we're going to live? Up in Psalm 139, it's got a lovely, lovely passage there. I will praise you because I am remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Let me just read that again. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God has a book with a number of days of your days written in it, and it says that he's got a plan there for all your days. Does that mean that we don't look after ourselves? You know, if, God, if God's got 60,000 days written for me, I can live however I like and abuse my body. No. God expects us to, to look after our bodies. We're stewards. In fact, it talks about us being temples of the Holy Ghost. How should we treat the temple of the Holy Ghost? Lose weight. Well, that's tomorrow. Exercise, eat correctly, and look after our bodies until God takes us home. So how long, how many days has God written in his book for you? How long do I expect to live? Well, my son Andrew was knocked off his bike and killed. 
at the age of six. Did God get it wrong? Did he, did he sort of have to tear a page out of his book because he got it wrong? No. Andrew had those number of days written in his book and he was taken home to be with God when he was six. You know, we, we were devastated, obviously, but a lot of the grief and the mourning we went through was the fact that we grieved that he didn't get to spend more days on earth. You know, he didn't get to go to secondary school. He didn't get to get married. He didn't get to have kids. And we grieve and mourn those, but God had those days in his book. You know, many good things came out of Andrew's death, um, so it wasn't all terrible, but we still grieve, and we miss that time with us. But look, think about it. If Andrew, if Andrew had a daughter 16 rather than 6, would it have been any less sad? If he died on his 21st birthday, would we have mourned any less? What if he died at, say, 35 when he had a wife and a couple of kids and he died suddenly? Would it have been any less sad? No, we would have still mourned and grieved. So we've got no guarantee of how long our life is. We've just got to make the most of those days. I want to briefly mention just two guys in the Bible. There's a guy, Hezekiah. He's a king of Israel. He was a godly king, and he was 39 years of age. And, and Isaiah, the prophet, comes to him and says, Isaiah, oh, sorry, Hezekiah, I've got a message from God for you. Get your life in order, you're going to die. He had this something, I think it might have been a melanoma or something growing on him, and he was going to die. And Hezekiah goes before the Lord and pleads, Lord, I've been living for you. I'm leading you people. Please spare my life. And God does. He goes back to, through Isaiah and says, um, Hezekiah, I'm going to give you another 15 years. And he goes, phew. Now, we're not told much about Hezekiah in those 15 years, but one of the things he did do was invite the enemies of Israel, the king of Babylon, into his palace, showed him all his goods and was just very flippant about what God had given him. And Isaiah came to him and said, look, what have you done? And he said, well, I've showed him all our, <laughs> all our riches. And he said, you're a fool. This is all going to be taken away from you. And you know what Hezekiah's response was? Well, at least it won't happen in my lifetime. He's a guy who had 15 years that he could have just gone crazy and served God with and he took it casually and just said, well, it doesn't matter, I've got 15 years, who cares? And he did not number his days and I just see how sad that is. The second person I want to quickly mention is Stephen, a young man of God that talks about him being anointed to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The, the disciples were looking for people to serve on tables and look after the widows and they chose Stephen because he was outstanding amongst another other guys who could serve the Lord. And anyhow, he came to the attention of the, the people, the, the religious leaders and a guy by the name of Saul and they brought him out and they accused him of profanity and all sorts of things. Stephen gives this wonderful sermon. They all get, their consciences get pricked enormously and they stone him to death. Now, we know Stephen was a young man, I don't know, 20s, whatever, and he was stoned to death. And it says that they laid their, those who threw the stones laid their garments at the feet of a man called Saul, who we know went on to become Paul. Was Stephen's death a waste? You think, man, he's a young man full of the Holy Spirit. He could have gone on and become whatever. God, surely you got that wrong, but no. It touched Saul enormously, watching Stephen getting stoned, and because it said that you know his face shone like an angel, and it wasn't long after that that Saul became Paul and got saved, and he went on and led many many thousands of people to the Lord. 
So verse 12 says, teach us to number our days carefully so that way we may develop a heart of wisdom. I, I thought about this and I thought, well, how can we number our days carefully? It doesn't, it doesn't give us any clues in the psalm how we actually do it. So I just thought, how can we do it? And I've, I've listed a couple of things here. First of all, we can make every day count. We need to prioritise our time. Don't put off tomorrow what you need to do. And especially, you know, we're talking about lockdown now. You know, somebody comes to mind, give them a ring. When lockdown's over, if somebody comes to mind, give them a visit. Don't put off till tomorrow what God prompts you to do today. You need to put God first in your life. The Bible says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I remember Pastor Jonathan, he shared a lovely little saying, you know, when you get up in the morning, <clears throat> God before phone. You know, put God first. Before you check your phone, go into God's presence with his word, with prayer, have some quiet time with the Lord, and then check your phone afterwards. Put God first in your time. Spend more time with your family. Look, nobody at the end of their life says, oh, look, if I'd only worked harder, if I'd only earned more money, no, everyone who, who dies and has regrets, their only regret is, I didn't spend more time with my family. So don't let that be you. I put down here to develop deep friendships, both inside and outside the church. You know, if your only friends are people inside the church, how on earth are you going to lead anybody to the Lord? God wants us to have friends inside and outside. Not that we live the same life as them, but we still have friends outside the church and we can then be that light in the dark place out there. But friendship is good for your mental health. It's good for your, your, your physical health as well. So don't forget friendships. And finally, seek to serve the Lord. You know, it's, it's very unlikely that God's going to have a bolt of lightning and crash down and say, hey, I want you to be a X, Y, and Z. Mostly we find God's will for our life, our path to service, simply through open doors. God provides an open door in the local church. And we need to put our hand up and say, yes, I'll have a go at that. And you look, you, you may not necessarily know whether that's going to be your calling. Is it going to be something that you do for the rest of your life? You won't know until you have a go. Have, try it. Look, I've, I've listed a couple of things I've done over my, over my life. I was, I've been youth leader in two different churches. It was enjoyable and it's very, very rewarding with working with young people because you see them grow in the Lord, new ones coming, into, coming to the Lord, very, very rewarding, but it just it wasn't my calling, it wasn't my thing. I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't it. I've served on church boards for over 30 years. Now, it's, it's, hard, it's funny to think about this because people don't see serving on a church parish council or a church board as being a spiritual thing. It's not like Pastor Jonathan preaching or somebody praying for the sick. It's a job. And you think, oh, well, you know, maybe that's not me. But I tell you what, if, if nobody stands in the parish council, do we have a church, Jono? No, you're shaking his head. We don't have a church. People have to put their hand up to do these tasks and sometimes they're stressful but it needs to be done. I've led worship for over 40 years over a number of churches. I remember that when I was 62, I talked about that on that Sunday morning. I was standing right there leading the worship with chest pain. <laughs> but I love doing it. It was something that God just really put on my heart. I love worship. I ran worship conference um, 
for an inter, inter-church thing. Um, he gave me the gift of being able to write a, a musical called In His Presence. Um, and we, we sung that around a number of different churches and, and really blessed people. But it was just my heart. I've led Bible studies over the years, many, many years, and it's just an absolute delight. I just, I just love giving Bible studies. I've done a fair bit of preaching over my time. When I was in Hamilton particularly, uh, we had a couple of outreach churches. I was preaching once a month at a place called Casterton. We went down to Port Ferry. I was preaching regularly down there as well as in my local church. Um, and even when we moved to Bacchus Marsh, I was doing a lot of preaching there. I, I love preaching not because I like talking. Mm, maybe I'll do. But as I prepare the sermon, God gives me so much more than I can ever give out. You, you, this Psalm 90 has just spoken to me immensely. I've got so much out of it, and I'm just happy to share that with you. Um, so preaching is just something that you know God's obviously given me a little bit of gifting to do. He's used me in the gift of prophecy, and I find that really rewarding. Being able to share with someone else something that God wants to say to them, and I'm just the conduit. It's not coming out of my head. It's just God flowing through you is incredibly rewarding. And if you look around our church, we've got so many people... And you can tell they love serving. I mean, Suzanne, you, you know, if you say, look, Suzanne, John says to her, can you organise a prayer meeting? She goes, oh, no, not another prayer meeting. No, no she loves prayer. You know, we spend time praying on Tuesday morning with her and she lights up. She's like a light. It just, she beams when, she, when it comes time to prayer. It just, wow, flows out her. And you can tell her that's a ministry, not a chore. The guys on the, on, the, on the door in the morning, you know, Gihan and Cicera and um, Louise and Wayne, just to mention a few. I, I particularly love Gihan. You, you've almost got to run away from him because you know you're going to get a big cuddle. <laughs> he just, he beams. And I, look, I can look around the church. Jeremy leading the worship. Pedro and Cena, you know, when they, when they, they just love it. Being on the AV, you can tell they love it. And there's so many more. I can't go through all of them. We get down to verse 13 and 14 in Psalm 90. And Moses has this plea, Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. I'm not sure what Moses was asking for, but he says, how long? You know, we all have things that we're waiting on the Lord for. How long? I preached a couple of weeks ago about waiting patiently for the Lord. And the secret of that is waiting in faith, believing that God will come through. One of the things we've been praying for on this Tuesday morning prayer meeting is for a real move of God in our church. You know, God, would you move? Would you renew? Would you bring new people in? And I tell you what, God has answered our prayers. We can't pray how long anymore because he's doing it right now. I've been talking to some of these new people who've come in through Zoom. Rob and Asunta, Joe and Steve, um, Joshua and Briley. I, I can name others as well. God has brought new people into our church for just this right time because this is a move of God in our, in our church. And so we don't need to pray, Lord, would you, would you start moving? He's already moving in our church. How exciting. Verse 16 and 17. I'm coming to the end. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendour by your children, by their children. Let the favour of the Lord be upon us. Establish us, establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Verse 16, he pleads with the Lord to show us his work or show us the work that God would have for us. What's God's plan for your life? 
What does he want for you? How can you serve the Lord? Uh, um, in Acts chapter 9, I just, there's a couple of verses there, and I just want to read just one of those verses. You remember Saul got converted. He had the bright light. He was blinded. He goes into the town, and Ananias comes and prays for him. And then verse 18, the scales fall off his eyes. Verse 19, he takes some food, and he, grains, he regains his strength. And it says that he was with the disciples some time. In the New King James, it says he was with the disciples several days. And in verse 20, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. You know, you don't have to wait until you've been through Bible college for 10 years and you've served and training for this. You can share Jesus today, especially you young people. You get saved, you're excited about the Lord. You can share that day. You don't have to wait. You can share that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Share while you're excited because God wants to use you. There's a lovely old saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You really only get, you know, you only get one time around. God only gives you one life, and only what's done, what is done for Christ will last. The, finally, in verse 17, it says, Let the favour of the Lord be on, of our God be on you. The King James says, Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. And that's what we want, isn't it? What we want for our lives in teaching us to number our days. We want people to see the beauty of Jesus in our lives. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's about the beauty of Jesus in our lives. So let me finish by challenging you. How will you number your days more effectively? What priorities do you need to change to number your days more effectively? How can you serve the Lord? How can you serve the Lord in the local church? How can you serve him in the community? What gifts of the Holy Spirit is he prompting you to use? What do you need to submit to him for him to flow through you? And finally, when you do come to the end of your days, what legacy will you leave behind for Christ? What will you be remembered by? How will you have spent your time and numbered your days wisely? Let me just pray as Jeremy comes. Lord, we thank you that you've given us today, Lord. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know... How many days are written in your book, Lord, of what we've got to do? But we do know one thing, Lord. You want us to live every day as though this was our last day. This is the most important day of our lives, Lord, to serve you today, Lord. Cause us to or help us to put you first. Help us to think of others and how we can serve others. Help us to think about how we can serve you, Lord, in our local church and burn like, like fire brands for you, Lord. Help us to make our life count for you. And so, Lord, we just commit this day to you, Lord. We, we commit those people who, Lord, who, who are just struggling in their hearts right now, Lord, and don't know what their future holds. Give them your peace, Lord. Help them to trust you fully, Lord, and to trust you as their Lord and Saviour. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.